welcome to the Three Ball Guys Talk Marketing Podcast with Three Ball Guys. Fred Peritsky of FCP Digital, Paul Schindel of Three Bears Communications, and freelance writer Rodney Warner. Thank you for coming back to Three Bald Guys Talk Marketing with me, Rodney Warner, freelance commercial writer. And me, Paul Schindel, Three Bears Communications, Advertising and Marketing Communications. And Fred Peritsky, FCP Digital, full-service digital marketing agency specializing in WordPress web design and search engine optimization. Thank you, Fred. So, My pleasure. So, so this podcast subject is uh, persuasion because um, marketing and sales certainly is all about persuading people. And there are different psychological techniques and different things you could do with what you say to people and what you write, which can help you persuade people to make a connection to you, buy your product, buy your service, uh, hire somebody, whatever it is you want to do, there are ways to be more persuasive when, uh, when you talk or write stuff. So, so this podcast is, is based on the material that I read some time ago. Uh, from the book Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, which if you're interested in marketing if or you're doing sales, it's a great book. It's not that long. It's an easy read. And it really goes down to the, to the really fundamental reasons as to why people do things and and how you can you can get people to do things based on the language that you use and, and, and some of these ideas. So, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so there are there are a number of different things. So I'm just going to go along and along a list as as how they were used in the book, um, and based on some of, some of our personal experience. And certainly, if you want to persuade somebody, you need to get to know them. I mean that that makes that just makes sense. One hundred percent. You know what you say your name is. <laughs> you know, back in my tremendously unsuccessful sales career, you know, one thing I I did learn is that especially when you're doing sales, you need to ask a lot of questions. You need to know where the person is coming from, what they want, what they don't want. You know, they're they're what are they afraid of? What do they want to avoid? What 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 are their goals? So you can kind of package what you have. To, to make it more attractive or to say simply, you know what, what, what you want, I don't have. And maybe you could, you could be the good guy and say, you know what, I don't do that, but Fred does that. So you should talk to my friend Fred. So, so that's, it's really critical to get to know the other person. Well, and, and one of the things that is a challenge in much of marketing communications is that there's oftentimes a gap between the audience and the communication, which is to say that um, you may have the audience defined in any number of ways. They are women ages uh, 24 to 49, whatever it may be. Um, but um, you may not have a direct contact, a direct uh, relationship with them where you can ask them all those questions that, that you, Rodney, as a salesman, could ask in a face-to-face -face kind of exchange. You know, and as a as a copywriter, I mean, I try to put myself in the shoes of who the target audience is, and 
And I think I make an educated guess as to what they want, but I mean, it it, it is kind of a one way mm-hmm. conversation when you when you are writing content for a for a website or for marketing material. So it does help to have actual practical experience in whatever field that you're writing about. Right, and in my business, um, when we build a website, we need to get a good understanding of the client's business. Uh, we're not just building it in a vacuum, and when we do search engine optimization or uh, pay-per-click advertising campaign, we need a lot of input from the client and also to do research on the audiences that they're trying to attract. So communication is important in every direction between the agency, the client, the client, and the audience that they're trying to get. And one thing that's very important in communications is to be present and pay attention and listen, to be a good listener is probably one of the most important things. Of course, ideally, you get to know the other person by doing market research. Correct. Correct, 100%. Which is, which is not something a lot of people do because maybe they correctly or, un, or incorrectly think they understand their target audience. I mean, they might, but they might not. You know, there may be segments of the population that really want their stuff, but the person isn't aware of that particular part of the population. Um, also... You know, when I write material, and when we, you know, whenever you need to do marketing, you need to address the people's wants, needs, fears. They don't want to hear what you want to say necessarily. They want their own needs addressed. You know, especially when you know when I work with attorneys, a lot of attorneys have a hard time with that <laughs> because they're so used to just spouting off and and telling everybody stuff. You know, and and they're not necessarily the most empathetic people, although so, the the really good ones are. So you're saying um, that on I, on behalf of all of your attorney clients and prospects, uh, your message is um, shut up and listen. Yeah, pretty much. You know, and it's also, I mean, whoever you are, I mean, ideally, you know the other person, and you can tailor your message so it'll be more effective. When you're addressing their wants, needs, and fears, instead right. of telling people about you know this great station wagon that I have that we're selling, but if you don't want a station wagon, I'm I'm kind of wasting my time. And and uh, I'm not going to speak for Paul, but I I think that he he will agree with this. When we're when we're creating a website, doing SEO, um, a Google Ads campaign, besides the customer being very important, the client's competitor is also very important because they need to know what their competitor is selling and what their competitor is saying and what kind of words they're using. Because Fred's a lot right. of, I right. agree. Fred's a, right, I agree. Well, a lot of times, uh, we're working on a big uh, law firm right now, a new engagement uh, on a Google AdWords campaign, SEO website, and we noticed in the little bit of research that we did so far that the keywords that they're using are not converting as well as their their competitors are. So a lot of the times it's just a matter of changing the focus a little bit and, and getting the client, in this case the attorney, to understand, like we don't, not that we understand their business, but we understand the marketing side of their business. All right, so the, the first issue that we're going to move on to is something called reciprocity. And that can be a very effective tool because we feel obligated to give back to someone who 
actually gave us something, or at least we perceive that person as giving something. And we kind of want to be square with everybody. We don't want to owe anybody anything. So, And if someone's nice enough to give something to us, we want to give something back to that. And that can be as simple as, you know, when you get junk mail from a nonprofit that maybe you've never heard of before, and there's a calendar inside, or there's a pen, or there's stickers. And if they send something, they actually have a much better chance of getting a donation in return, because (laughs) complete strangers, enough of them, feel obligated to return something. They want it, They want that gift to be reciprocated. And it can be something as simple as you go to a store and you can't find what you're looking for and you ask, you know, the employee and, and the employee disappears and goes in the back room and tries to find something. If they actually find it, you're probably much more likely to buy it because you feel indebted to this nice store employee mm-hmm. who went out of his way to help you. So it's it's Or you feel guilty for it. Exactly. For not doing it. Well it's I guess I guess guilt is is one way you could you could think about it. Guilt um, I you know, guilt is sometimes a powerful motivator. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful um, to about playing off of guilt because um, it really depends on whether whether the guilt is borne by by the person who you're trying to convince to buy something or do something, and the the reciprocity, if you will, the the reward for applying that guilt has to be something that truly assuages the mm-hmm. guilt. So it's like, wow, I feel better because. I'm not guilty anymore for for overlooking this. And, you know, maybe the best example, which is coming up shortly, is um, Valentine's Day. Gentlemen, flowers. (laughs) That's right. Chocolates, whatever it may be. Something. A night out. Perfume. A night out, whatever it might be. Whatever works. The clock is ticking. (laughs) And so you'll feel much better when you contact our flower company and have, you know, and have them... Have us deliver a nice bouquet to your sweetheart. There's, there's, there's guilt working for you. Now. And another, another uh, uh, business that uses guilt very effectively are insurance companies. So how's that? In, in the ads and when salesmen meet with, um, meet with prospective clients, it's wouldn't you feel better if your family was, was safe and covered when you pass away? It's a, there's a lot of guilt in the... Um, car insurance commercials, the drug company commercials. It's all, I think, there's a lot of guilt. Some of it's overt. Some of it is hidden. Like, shouldn't you do this to be keep your family safer? So according to Dr. Cialdini, who is, who is the, the author of the book, I mean, as far as reciprocity is concerned, you can give your time, you can give information, you can praise someone, you can give them something, you know, that's not very tangible. But the key is that what you give is appreciated and the person feels willing to do something in return. I mean, that's what it all boils down to. I mean, if you're, you're giving away pens or calendars or mm-hmm. stickers or you're running around in the back room looking for something, if the other person doesn't care, then it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. So that, in, in effect, that reciprocity thing is, a, is setting up a 
mutually beneficial quid pro quo. Yeah, so you're, that's what you're hoping for. You know, and one of the interesting kind of ways to do this, you know, according to book, called it the door-in-the-face method. So when you talk to the person, you start out with a big request that you probably expect to be rejected. And if it is rejected, then you, you cut your price. You cut it in some way, dramatically, a little bit, whatever it is. And the person on the other end kind of feels like you're doing them a favor because you are cutting the price. And as a result, there might be a little back and forth, but there's a good chance mm-hmm. the offer is going to be accepted. I mean, if you... If you're selling a, a, a $50,000 car, but your margin is $20,000, you say, well, this price is 50, but for you, Paul, today it's 40. Mm-hmm. Such a deal. So, so you might feel, wow, isn't, isn't this salesman great? He's, he's saving me $10,000, and, and I kind of feel indebted to this guy. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do yeah. the sale. So. And there's so much of that in advertising. The... Um, as seen on TV products are a good example of that, where the the one amazing flashlight that you can see to the moon is great at nineteen ninety five. But wouldn't you like to get two for the same price? <laughs> and wait, shipping, there's more. Yeah, there's more, <laughs> and shipping and handling extra on both. Well, and you know, I I would add in the in the context of that, uh, what did you call it? The door in the face uh, kind of thing. Method. Um, sometimes sometimes there are those you know, outrageous uh, first offers or first suggestions um, are actually accepted, um, which from the content context of, of the selling party usually is a great thing. It's like, wow, I said the car is $50,000 and you said, thank you very much, I'll take it. <laughs> That's great. In other cases, though, and I, you know, pardon me for getting political here, but... Um, you know, not that long ago, we had the um, the military presenting opportunities for responding to uh, to some Iranian threats, and they presented the president with a with a door in the face offer. Well, let's kill this guy mm-hmm. Soleimani. They presented that with the uh, expectation uh, that that was the door in the face, and that the more acceptable offer would be some lesser reciprocity and the commander-in-chief said i'll buy that and uh and here we are and here we are you know backing off the brink of war correct so so speaking of that you know i thought i'd bring in a real live example of of reciprocity in action so so fred here has volunteered to read a section it's it's the middle of page two of the world famous transcript of the phone conversation between President Trump and President Zelensky of of or of Ukraine, and and I'm going to ask I'm going to ask Fred to uh, to start reading that paragraph. Uh, the only reason I'm reading it is because Alec Baldwin was unavailable this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that and we can't afford him. Well, it's very nice of you to say that. I will say that we do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort doing, and they should be helping you more than they are. Germany does almost nothing for you. All they do is talk, and I think it's something that you should really ask them about. When I was speaking to Angela Merkel, or whatever her name is, she talks Ukraine, but she doesn't do anything. A lot of the European countries are the same way, so I think it's something you want to look at 
but the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. I wouldn't say that it's reciprocal necessarily because things are happening that are not good, but the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. So the whole point of this, at least it appears to me, is to make sure that President Zelensky knows that he's indebted to President Trump, Mm -hmm. that he owes President Trump. And President Zelensky, like any other human being, isn't going to like that. So it kind of sets up the ask for for the investigations and, and all that other fun stuff. Like so you this do is, us a favor, though. That's right. Like, do us a favor. So you're indebted to us, so it's time for you to do us a yeah. favor. I mean, it's, I mean, say what you want about Trump. He's a great salesman, and he knows how to sell. And, and this is literally his sales script Yes. From, from trying to sell the idea of an investigation to, to uh, President Zelensky using reciprocity. And the language is purposely um, confusing. It's his specialty. It's yeah. his specialty. So another issue that uh, that that uh, the book brings up, it's called consistency. You know, we, we feel that we need to be aligned with our outer actions and our promises, you know, with our inner choices and systems, such as our beliefs and values. You know, if we make a promise, we feel obligated to fulfill that promise. When we make a decision, we feel like, well, that's, that's the right decision to make. If we do something that's, that's not aligned with our, our beliefs or our values or, or some other part of our, you know, how we see ourselves, we may change those inner aspects in order to, to restore how, how things are right. And I think this is really interesting, not just sales and marketing, but, but in politics. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like if, if we put a label on ourselves, Democrats, Republicans, whatever it is, it's almost like, okay, we have this label in our thoughts and our words have to fit this label or else there's something wrong with us. And I think that's, I think that's one way which political parties market themselves. Well, another, another thing um, that this has to do with, I believe, is branding. So I just heard a conversation, and I forget where, but branding of anything. So right now, politics are very big because we have the Democratic um, debates going on. If you brand yourself as a Republican or a Democrat, or even to go further, if you brand yourself as a Biden person, a Trump person, whoever, you feel obligated to to support them a thousand percent because it becomes your brand. And to get away from politics, it's even that way in something else that's dear to my heart is drums. So, and I'll tell you how I mean that. So there are on Facebook, I'm on many, many drum Facebook groups for different drum brands that I use. Some of the people are such raving fans that no matter what that drum company does, it can't be bad. Whatever it is, as good or bad, it's like they're behind that brand because they believe it. It affects them. They see themselves as that brand. And I think that's, you know, a lot has to do a lot with with marketing. You know, oh, of course it does, and you know the among among the classics in that in that category of branding and brand loyalty are Coke versus Pepsi, exactly, um, and to some extent um, Apple versus Android. Um, you know, you have people who are diehard fans of one or the other. You know, this one's great, that one sucks, and you can't convince me otherwise. 
you know, I think, you know, the people I know who own pickup trucks, it's pickup trucks are the same. You're a Ford guy or you're a Chevy guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd love to know the statistics of, you know, what are the chances of a Ford guy buying a Chevy pickup or or vice versa? And they spend millions of dollars trying to get people to switch, even to the point of buying out their lease on that truck to sell you this truck. And by doing you know, really minor incremental changes to get people to move from one to the other. The current pitch that I have seen for pickup trucks, I think this is a Chevy or GM product, has, you know, a fancy um, lift gate on the, the, the back step. gate That's on the... GMC, actually. Yeah, with a new step. Rodney that. knows. He's watching those truck <laughs> commercials. And, um, you know, is that such a big deal that you're going to sell your Ford to buy a GMC? Well, they're hoping so. You know, and it, that's brand, you know, that's the strength of, of reinforcing your brand. And I think it goes to show that, you know, how important it is once you get a customer that it's much easier to keep that customer than to get a new one. Yes. So it's a way easier, way cheaper. So with brand loyalty, this is something that I've thought. About a lot. So when I was a kid, and maybe Paul, I don't know about Rodney. I'm probably the oldest one in this trio of the bald guys. When by, I by by many many <laughs> years, Fred. When I <laughs> by decades decades. When I was a kid, everything was compared to a Cadillac. So if you had a Schwinn bike, you might say this is the Cadillac of bikes. Now, over the last couple decades, the Cadillac shine has gone off of that brand and i don't hear that anymore where people compare anything that is the cadillac of wines or whatever so you know brands are so important to keep like sacred i guess so like coke has been around for i don't know 120 years it's basically the same product that it's always been and it's recognizable well, the loyalists are upset that they have substituted real sugar, you know, out and corn syrup in. And also, you know, the the ancient loyalists, I don't know if you're this old, Fred, but, you know, it did actually have cocaine in it back yes, in the I've early heard, days. I heard about and that. And I don't know if you're, you know, I don't know if my you're upset used, that that My father was. used to tell me about that. Okay. You know, in a, a very big issue, especially now in the in these days of, uh, of the Internet and social media and digital marketing is uh, social proof. That's because we copy what others do, especially when we're unsure of what to do. If you want someone to do something, show that others are already doing it. I mean, it's why, you know, when I buy something on Amazon, I buy microphones. I want to buy a microphone. So, and I want to spend so much money and I get like a hundred results. One of the ways I can filter those results is by customer feedback. You know, how many stars? The reviews. And Mm -hmm. Yelp has become a massive (laughs) business. You got Google Local. We are so driven by, by what other people think and what other people say that if you can use social proof... You know, as far as attorneys are concerned, there's there's uh, AVO, which clients and former clients can can rate attorneys. That's 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 a very powerful message. And if you're a business that gets a bad review, 
I mean, it can really it can really hurt. It can hurt a lot. Then that extends even more to um, to third party social proof. So it's one thing to have, you know, five star ratings or or other kind of reviews on sites like that. Um, but you enter in, into a whole different realm of social proof, which ties very much into the branding conversation as well. When you buy a product because uh, Beyonce endorses it, or because um, you know some other some other celebrity has been paid a pile of money because their brand is being associated with some other brand that they, you know, um, I don't know if Beyonce drinks Coke or Pepsi, but my maybe guess R- is... Maybe RC. I doubt that. They don't have enough money to, <laughs> to buy out Beyonce. But um, they didn't I'm have sure, enough money for a real name. I'm sure she's. I'm sure she's under contract to one or one or the other of the uh, of the soft drink companies. Her, her fans are more likely to find that social support because if it's good enough for Beyonce, it's good enough for me. Right. My family, my daughter is going to college. You know, like like anybody going to college, she's like, you know, she had certain you know, certain things she was looking for. And, you know, we had a certain price range. You know, she had a certain major in mind. And then we talked to a friend of ours who came from a college that we never really heard of before. Maybe one of us read about it in some list somewhere, but we never really took it seriously. But this friend of ours had great things to say about it. And that opened the door to my daughter really diving in and doing research. And then we ended up driving six hours to see this place, which we would have never done if not for our friend <laughs> talking it up. And, you know, by the time her degree is finished, you know, I think their average cost is probably like $24,000 a year. Wow. So, And so, you will have driven 24,000 miles so, back and forth. So, so, you know, the average, the <laughs> average family, you know, we're talking like a hundred thousand dollar purchase, which in our instance was because a friend of ours recommended it. I mean, that's that's the power of social proof, and it could be you know just somebody recommending somebody, yeah. and it it depending on what you're selling, it, it could result in hundreds of thousands of dollars of income because somebody says something nice about you and offers you you know some social proof. Sure. So in this, uh, the next one is is really pretty basic, and it shouldn't come as a surprise as you can influence people by being likable, which is something I have a hard time with. You know, you're supposed to be friendly. You should show that you care. You should be interested in what they're doing. And, you know, you should respond in friendly ways. You know, should you try to sell them something? Otherwise, you know, try to try to change their minds. Um, you know, we smile. We shake their hands. You know, we, we try to build the person up, make them feel like they're special. You know, we we listen to them. You know, we, we do a lot of um, active listening, I think is the term, and and some some positive small talk, and and that can that can go a long way. It can, as long as you're authentic, because if you're not, um, people can see right through it. There's a commercial right now, and I believe it's for Geico. I believe it's for Geico, where this one of the new spokes. People is Pinocchio. Right. I don't know if you've seen that before. Yeah. And the, of course, the people see right through Pinocchio because his nose starts to grow and he tells them, you're the best people in the room. So I think people can see right through that. But if you're more authentic, that's really the way you 
are that goes a long way. So the the next one is is something we've we've kind of talked about as far as it's called authority, which is we defer to people who we think are superior, and especially that comes with social proof. I mean, when Beyonce is is chugging that Pepsi, that means a lot more to a Beyonce fan as if, you know, they saw me chugging a Pepsi. So when someone in authority says something is true, you know, and we believe that they know more than we do, we're far more likely to accept what they say is true without Mm -hmm. question. That's, you know, it's, you know, these, these internet influencers, you know, are, 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 are a huge huge deal. You know, and it's, you know, I remember reading about a, a website that was, uh, that started off as raiding mattresses. And then they figured out how, well, if we generate sales of mattresses by, you know, linking them to our website, we can make some money. And it's, it's, and then maybe we can sell pillows too. <laughs> That's right. So, so if, if you're seen as an authority, mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to influence people. I mean, that's why many of us do presentations. You know, we're showing off our authority. I mean, we're experts at marketing or, or experts at IT or whatever it is you're an expert as. You want to do these presentations. You want to do videos showing your expertise in area because you'll be seen as someone with authority and people are more likely to buy from you. That's why we want people to uh, listen to our podcast, because we're an authority on this. That's right. We are authorities. Trust us. We're authorities. Or at least try to trust us. Yeah. Yes, folks. What they said. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Pepsi, Coke, <laughs> and Beyonce. You know, the next, the next one is the book is, is Scarcity. And if you could tell people about a product or service... And then tell them how great it is, and then say, you know, we're running out. <laughs> it can be a much easier sell because there's only so many left. And if I yes. can go back to Amazon, it'll show you how many are left. You know, we only have ten more. You, we, I better act now. There's only ten right. more. This is a limited time offer. Yes, limited, limited time, limited time only. So, so scarcity. You know, if, if you can honestly say, or hopefully you're honest, and say, we only have so many, or, you know, we only have so many apartments left to rent, you know, and this reminds me of someone who used this in kind of an evil way, and that was Bernie Madoff. Because <laughs> when Bernie Madoff, as part of his Ponzi scheme, when he talked to people about his, about his uh, fictional investments that he had going on, his, uh, you know, his hedge fund, he would say, well, you know, the hedge fund is closed, so, so we're not taking any more investors. Right. But, you for know, you, he, but, but for you, <laughs> I'll sneak you in. So you feel, you feel indebted. You feel indebted, you feel special, and you're getting a, a scarce commodity. That's right. So, so it's all the more reason to, to hand Bertie Madoff your, your hard-earned money. Yes, and also I was just watching a um, George Carlin, may he rest in peace, um, comedy special and he went through words like we were talking about like limited time offer he had maybe like a hundred different versions of that and it is true you know that we say things you know they're not available and a good example of that has to do with um toys especially at a christmas and the holiday season when my girls were young so in the 80s the big doll was cabbage patch kids mm-hmm. 
and whoever made Cabbage Patch Kids, and I don't know if it's Hasbro, one of those companies, created their own shortage of them. People were going crazy. And it's genius. Trying to find, exactly. It was every, all of my friends were, did you, where, can you get them? Can you, you know, we finally ended up buying them at a video store. Somehow he got a hold of some. That and Trivial Pursuit, those two things in the 80s, they, were, they manufactured these false shortages of them. And it happens a lot today too. And all of a sudden then they appear someplace and people fight over them well and you know it happens in um in all kinds of industries nike regularly um you know produces limited editions of air jordans or other shoes that um in some cases they are numbered uh you know numbered limited to 100 pairs or 500 pairs and that immediately increases the value to those who are interested in right. that, to those who collect that. Um, you know, an, another another uh, example is that uh, the Wu Tang Clan created a um, an an album uh, and produced one single copy of it, which was sold for a million dollars to I forget the guy's name, but he was one of these. Charlatans, who, who <laughs> one of these shysters, who who um, was involved with um, some kind of um, pharmaceutical. Co- it was the guy who was charging, you know, oh, six hundred dollars for for, for epipens, epipens and, yeah. yeah, and that sort of thing. And he paid a million dollars for for the single existing copy of the Wu Tang Clan's album. And then when he was caught and lost everything, he sold it for he, legal fees. He, um, you know, he lost that album as well. I remember Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies was... You know, when my daughter was small, that was like, you know, there's only going to be a hundred aardvarks. Beanie Babies. People started collecting them and they're worthless. How does it happen, though, that there were millions of unicorns? (laughs) Aren't they supposed to be scarce? That's right, you know, and they could make almost as much money from a hundred aardvarks than they could from a hundred thousand giraffes or something like that. And all the people that were collecting them are have them gathering dust because they're worthless. So so winding up, you know, is once again, the, the book is Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. Uh, the author is Robert Cialdini. Look it up. It's like I said, it's an easy read. You'll learn a lot. You know, and especially I found it very interesting because I find a lot of business stuff that you read to be really kind of boring, mm-hmm. where this really goes into the psychology and why people are motivated and why and why they do stuff. And I, I personally find that a lot more interesting. So the kind of the keys are get to know the other person. You want to address their wants, needs, and fears. You know, you want to feel like there's some reciprocity going on that that ideally the other person might feel that, you know, they owe you something. Um, you want to have some consistency and uh, commitment from the other person. Social proof is is huge, and that's that's a massive way to to improve your your marketing and sales. Of course, you want to be liked because people are much more likely to to buy something from from someone they like. Um, you want someone in a position of authority to talk up your product or service because people will find people in authority more credible. And also the last one is scarcity. If you are selling your services, you could say, hopefully honestly, that, you know, I really don't have have that much time 
but I'll sneak you in. Or, you know, I've only got 10 more of those sinks. So if you want this sink, you're going to need to buy it now. So, so these are some great ways to, uh, to try to boost your, boost your sales and marketing. Great. Thanks for reading that book. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you saved us having to read it. I know. And, terrific. And, and reading my list. So, uh, so anything else, gentlemen? I would just like to say, since we're talking about books, I'd like to thank the Lower Makefield Library for lending us their audio room studio where we can produce these beautiful podcasts. Yes, yeah, so if you're in the podcast, if you're doing, a, doing podcasts and you're in the Lower Makefield area, you know, step on, come on by the Lower, uh, the, the free uh, Bucks Library, the Lower Makefield branch here. And it's a convenient distance away from the police department if you need to turn yourself in for some reason. So, <laughs> so um, I'm uh, going to make myself scarce right now. So, <laughs> so um, wrapping up, Fred, what's your main takeaway from today's episode? My my main takeaway is um, something that I've used a lot in marketing, and that is to listen to your prospects and clients, um, be authentic in your likability, and don't try and force it, try not to use scarcity as a tactic because I think that turns people off a lot, but there is a lot of psychology in what we're doing, and we use all different words for this, but we're all selling. That, you know, it's that's marketing. Your one, that's your one takeaway? <laughs> that it's, was a good list, it's, it's a really big one. <laughs> I, I can never just have uh, one. <laughs> One's never enough. Rodney? You know, I have to say, especially in writing, I mean, the, the big thing is is knowing your audience. Because as far as reciprocity or scarcity, consistency, whatever you want to use, you have to use the right one. And the better you know your audience, uh, you're more likely to, to pick the right method that's going to open the door and, and hopefully, you know, bring in more income. I would uh, second that thought and add that um, if you know your audience well, whether you're dealing with a one-on-one a -on -one kind of relationship or a mass communication relationship, uh, the, the more the better you know your audience, the more persuasive you can be. And um, at the end of the day, we all are in this to, um, you know, to achieve our, our goal, with, which for marketers typically is to sell something. And it's easier to do that when you understand your audience. Okay, and that's it for this podcast. We thank you very much for listening. We thank you very much for uh, signing up for Getting Future Ones. And uh, until next time, I'm Rodney Warner, a freelance commercial writer. And how do we get in touch with you? Who, me? Uh, right now, we'll go with writerforhire at outlook.com. Fred Peritsky, FCP Digital, full-service digital marketing agency, you can reach me at fred at fzpdigital.com. And I'm Paul Schindel, Three Bears Advertising and Marketing Communications, Full Service Strategic Communications, paul at threebears.com. And you can find the Three Bears, uh, the Three Bald Guys <laughs> Talk Marketing Podcast wherever you get podcasts. Apple, Apple uh, Podcasts, Every Google place. Play. Spotify, yada, yada, yada. Thank you. Thank you again.
welcome to the Three Bald Guys Talk Marketing Podcast with Three Bald Guys. Fred Peritsky of FCP Digital, Paul Schindel of Three Bears Communications, and freelance writer Rodney Warner. 